Take your Bible this morning and join with me in reading together from God's Word in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to preach one more message at least from the Gospel of Luke, and this is one of the parables that Jesus taught. Luke chapter 16. I'm not sure how much is going to be on the board. Tara, how much are we going to cover? 1 through 13? Okay, good. 1 through 13. Now, I'm going to read from the I call it the Baptist Bible. (laughs) The Holman Christian Standard Bible was published by Holman Publishers, and that's a Baptist publishing house. So we kind of jokingly call it the Southern Baptist Bible. Um, But I do recommend it. It's been revised, and it's called the Christian Standard Bible. Does anybody else have that translation? Christian Standard Bible. Tom, I know you do. Anybody else have it? It's a good translation. It's very trustworthy. And uh, there is a Christian Standard Bible study Bible. If you can get that, even if you can find a used copy, the study edition that goes with that is superb. It is superb. And so um, I encourage if you have opportunity to do that. Now, sometimes, like the New American Standard is what I've been preaching from, and um, I can read it, and this is one of those parables that I have never preached on before. Uh, I love the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, there are 39 of those parables. Now, a parable is a short story, like you're hoping this will be a short sermon, because we're going to have fried chicken. And I know that the only thing that's standing between Mark and the fried chicken is the sermon today. I realize that. But Jesus used these short stories, sometimes just one verse or two, sometimes a little more lengthy, sometimes very complicated, and this is a complicated one, to to teach one main point. So every parable or short story that Jesus teaches has a main point. Now, there may be other sub-points in there, but there is certainly one main point. And the point about the parable that Jesus is teaching today, um, while these Pharisees are watching who pride themselves of tithing and so forth helps them to understand that um, they're not as shrewd a stewards as they think they are. Uh, Good stewards are shrewd. God's stewards are astute. And uh, so some of your translations will say shrewd. Some of them, like the Baptist Bible I've got, will say astute. But uh, it simply means that wise, sharp in judgment. Okay? So I'm going to read, and I'm not sure what translation, Paul, we're using on the screen, but do your best to follow along. We're going to go through these 13 verses, and I hope it makes sense to you because we've got four points about stewardship that come from this parable. It is a wonderful, wonderful parable of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, of the 39 parables in the Gospel of Luke, 11 of them are about money. One out of seven verses in the Gospel of Luke are about money and wealth. 
So uh, some of you may be thinking, okay, here comes that money sermon. Here, here comes that money sermon. All they do is talk about money up at that church. I'm not going. I'm not going to go. All they talk about is money. And I'm not going. Jesus talked a whole lot about money. We're going to find out why in a minute. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, And he also said to, to the disciples, There was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in, and he asked, What's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I'm removed from my management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. Verse 6, a hundred measures of oil, he said. Well, take your invoice, he said. Sit down quickly and write 50. Wouldn't you love it if the bank called you up and said, whatever your mortgage is, cut it in half? Next, he asked another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, take your invoice. And he told him, write 80. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted astutely or shrewd. For the sons of this age, now this is the meaning of the parable. Jesus is interpreting it here. For the sons of this age are more astute than the sons of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, Jesus said, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous money. That's the money you earn every day. So that when it fails, and it will fail, it will fail. You won't always have that money. Can't take it to heaven with you. Right? So that when it fails... And figure out where I am here. They may welcome you. Let's do it again. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of the unrighteous money, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. The purpose of money is to make friends that you can go to heaven with. Isn't that something? The purpose of money is to make friends with the gospel so that you can go to heaven together. That's why we're going to go out and share the gospel with our county. So if you've not been faithful with the unrighteous money, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No household slave can be the servant or the slave of two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or 
he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't be slaves to both God and money. You can't be slaves to both God and money. It's not wrong to have money. Money has a purpose. And we are not shrewd or astute when we are foolish with our money and do not use it as God intended. So there are four points to this message today that I want to share with you about being a shrewd steward with the master's money. And we ask the question in the title of today's message, Who really is master of my house? Who really is the master of my house? Well, the point number one that uh, Jesus makes in this parable is that God's stewards must be astute or shrewd. In the New Living Translation, which I also love, if you've got that translation, great. If you don't, go get it. You can find it online. It's free. Verse 8 and 9 that I read a moment ago, here's the lesson he said, Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. That's what money is for. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. Of course, shrewd means having a sharp powers of judgment. But Jesus is teaching us when it comes to worldly things, things of this world that will not go into eternity. The world's people, the people who are worldly, tend to be more shrewd or astute about being the world than the Christian is astute toward God. Some Christians are shrewd with earthly things, but foolish about eternal things. A shrewd Christian understands that God owns the world, and I am entrusted to be his manager. Let me say that again. A shrewd Christian understands that God owns everything. He really does. I may have the deed to my property, I may have the title to my automobile. But all that is in the world exists because God created. And when God created the world, He told Adam and Eve to be managers of it. And everything that God created, for example, your health, that gave you the brain and the wherewithal to make a living, to get an education, all that is a gift from God. And without that, you would not have what you have. God is the owner of everything. And we partner with God to be stewards of what we have earned in our lifetime. Never forget the joke about the pastor that went out to meet uh, folks in the countryside. He started a new church and, and he, he found this uh, farmer out there and he had a beautiful garden. Absolute beautiful garden. And the pastor noticed that, uh, you know, years earlier, it was just a, a briar patch. I mean, nothing but rabbits could, could live where his garden became. And, and so the pastor thought, well, I'll go and congratulate the, the local farmer. And he said, um, brother, I see that you've got a great garden this year. And to try to work in stewardship, he said... Um, um, it's a beautiful garden. He said, um, you and God have done a great job together. 
The farmer looked at him and said, yeah, I guess so, but you should have seen it when God had it by himself. <laughs> well, we do partner with God to till the soil. But when you put that seed in the ground, you don't make it grow, God does. God, through um, teaching of stewardship, is helping us to understand that life that we enjoy today and the blessings of material things are the result of His blessing us and us being a steward with Him. So a shrewd steward, uh, God's stewards, must be astute and understand that God owns everything and I get to manage it with God. Number two, he talks in here of this parable about faithfulness. And, and what we're learning is the second point of this message. God's stewards must be faithful managers. What God is doing with teaching us about stewardship and the management of money is he is developing our character. He is developing our Christian character. And Jesus singles out money so many times, as I've mentioned before, because money reveals the true identity or the condition of our human heart. If you want to learn what somebody is really made of, put some money on the table. And you'll see who they truly are over a period of time. God is developing our moral character, our integrity, our personal character by entrusting us with our wages and teaching us to be stewards. One of the things he's developing us is generosity. God is a generous God and he's teaching us to be generous as well. And we are never more like God than when we are generous. Marla, I really appreciate that song you sang today. When he was on the what? That's pretty generous, wasn't it? You'll not get more generous than Jesus. Your character will never be more generous than God. But we are most like God when we are generous. Rich young ruler came to Jesus one day and and uh, he said, Lord, what, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to this wealthy young man, well, I'll keep the Ten Commandments. And he, Jesus quotes them. And, and the rich young ruler said, you know, I've done that. I guess I'm going to heaven. I've been a good boy. And Jesus said, well, you know, there's just one thing you like. And he said, what's that? Jesus said, sell all that you possess... Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the rich young ruler heard these things, the Bible says he became very sad, because he was extremely wealthy, and not trusting of God, but trusting himself. So we grow in generosity as we learn to be generous. Because nothing like money will reveal the true condition of the human heart. Not only do we grow in generosity, but we grow in trustworthiness. Can God trust you? 
depends on how you're spending his money. That's what the steward was doing. He was mismanaging God's money. And when we mismanage God's money, we are saying to God, I don't trust you. I don't trust God to meet my needs according to his riches and glory. I don't trust the word of God. And maybe you say, well, I'm not a tither, but I'm starting to give a little. Good for you. Good for you. You will grow in trustworthiness. Now, hang in here with me when I say this. We tend to be trusting of others as we ourselves are trustworthy. We tend to be trusting of God as we ourselves become trustworthy. So it's a great challenge, isn't it? It's a great challenge to grow in generosity and to grow in trustworthiness. Thirdly, a great uh, lesson that Jesus is teaching here uh, is in verse 13. Let's, uh, let's read verse 13 together. He said, No household slave can be the slave of two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and, and despise the other. So, do we understand that God owns everything? That's what a shrewd steward is. Are we growing in our personal character by being faithful? Jesus said in this parable, If you're faithful in a little, I'll make you ruler over much. There's more to come for you in God's eternity if you can be trusted in God's now. Good stewards are obedient to the Lord. We just do what Jesus said do. We just do what Jesus said do. The number one rival for the human heart to God is that wallet, that credit card that we have in our pocket. A great revival occurred in a town, a town of about 2,000 people. It started in a little rural church. Uh, the sanctuary was not as large as your sanctuary over here. But it began when one of the town leaders came forward during an invitation. And he did something during that three-day revival that no one's ever seen. He reached into his pocket and he got out his pocket knife. And he set it on the Lord's Supper table. He reached in the other pocket and he got out his keys to his pickup truck and some change and put it on the Lord's Supper table. And the pastor is watching this and the pastor is the interim pastor and they had a revival trying to get ready for the next pastor. Then he reached in the other pocket and there was his wallet. And he pulled out his wallet and he set it on that table. And he wept and he cried. And he said to the church, I have not trusted God with my material things. And today I'm making a total commitment to God that He owns everything that I think I own. And I'm going to live the rest of my life serving the Lord. 
Somebody else came up, rededicated their life. Somebody else came up, rededicated their life. That revival went on for weeks. They had to go to another church because so many people were coming. And then they had to go to another big church because they couldn't hold the crowd. People were getting saved. People were going to find their friends and getting saved because one man said, God will be number one in my life. Now, I know you're asking, did they keep the wallet at the church office? No, he took the wallet back home. But his life changed so dramatically. Why? Because he was obedient. All of us can give. Giving is what we do in worship. When you go to the Old Testament, there was a time of sacrifice, that the people gave sacrifices. That offering and sacrifice to God was an act of worship. And because of COVID, we're not passing the plate here. There's a little church out there. And uh, I was standing at the door last Sunday, and I thought, I need to not do that because some people are putting their offering in there. I don't want to put any pressure on anybody. No, maybe I will go back and start looking after this sermon. But to be obedient means that I am giving to God as an act of worship. Why do we give? Most people give out of emotions, not reasons. Um, there's, a, there's a cause going on. There's a need somewhere. And so it hooks our emotions and hooks our feelings. And so we dig into our wallet or our checkbook or our account and we give something out of emotions. But emotions come and go, don't they? Obedience is the number one reason to be a tither, to be a giver, and to be a steward of all that you have to God. Jesus said you can't have it both ways. You can't sit on both sides of the fence. Either you will love God more than the world, or you will love the world more than you love God. And if you're not giving right now, ask yourself, who do I love the most, God or the world? Who do I trust the most, God or the world? The good news is, and be encouraged by this, God's stewards are rewarded. Now when these TV preachers talk about seed faith money, And if you will do that, you'll achieve every goal you've ever dreamed of in your life. Forget all that. That's that's called health and wealth theology. Let's talk about the real things God wants to do with our stewardship. One, He gives us the grace to live in financial peace in this life. And number two, enjoy heavenly riches in the life to come. Let me say that again. Number one, to live in in financial peace in this life and have heavenly riches, number two, in the life to come. We share some good news with you and some steps you can take. And I've got to get through this sermon. That chicken is just driving me nuts. Number one, commit your finances to God. Can you do that? Lord, here's my checkbook. Lord, here's my account. It's all yours. 
God, what do you want me to do with it? Paul said in Corinthians, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He didn't say you'll have all you want. And you will learn the difference very quickly when you start tithing, when you start giving, and give regularly. You'll start to learn that you don't need everything you want. And you'll be wise in your purchases. So the, number two, there may need to be a restructure of your life. Maybe we need to take a financial inventory and see, am I giving to the Lord? Do I have a budget that's workable? Um, stop going into debt. If you want to get out of debt, start tithing. If you want to get out of debt, start tithing. But I got all these bills. Start tithing. And the reason you have all these bills will not accumulate more debt. Does that make sense? It's awfully quiet in here, Scott. Can I, can I just get an amen? And learn, learn to economize. Learn to economize. I know the restaurants are having a hard time, but most people uh, spend so much money eating out that we feel like, well, I don't have any money to tithe with, but I sure enjoy eating out. The price of a burger, the price of a meal, I don't know why, but it's outrageous these days. So commit your finances to the Lord. That may take a restructuring of your whole life to put Christ first. Number three, learn to be content with what you have. In other words, embrace what you have and once in a while say, I like my old car. I like my old truck. I came up here one day with a car, the one I drive now, and I really like it. It's a brand new 2007 Camry. I drove an O2 for a long time, but I like my car. And you know, when people are driving around with these new cars, I tell Linda, I say, I'm going to be driving that car one day. <laughs> I am. I'm gonna, it may be out of style, but they're going to trade it in and get another one. I say, I'm going to be driving that car one day. And understand, when you tithe, you're giving from the first fruits. A tithe is the first tenth, first 10% of all that you have earned. And to be obedient, we remember what Malachi said, the Lord through the prophet. And you know, it's easy being a, a nice guy pastor, but these prophets were tough. They spoke a word from the Lord, and you just, kind of like having an evangelist at your church. You know, he just came and said a lot of things you didn't want to hear, and then he left town. But these prophets said and died saying the truth from God. The Lord says, bring the whole tithe into God's house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not bless you with overflowing baskets that you've just got to stuff it down to keep it all in there. I have come to believe that when God blesses, hear me, He blesses real good. I have come to believe that God has more in store for His children than we are trusting Him for. 
because we're robbing from him and holding on to what is his. There was a survey called the Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience. Baptists are in that broader category of evangelical Christians. It revealed that 94% of us, 94% who claim to be evangelical, and all evangelicals teach tithing, 94% do not tithe. 94% of those who claim salvation by grace do not obey the one who saved us. In other words, to go back to our sermon title about shrewd stewards, only 6% of evangelical Christians are shrewd or astute, wise, smart stewards. I hope you're one of that 6%. But I would end by asking this question, who is master of your house? Now, you all know that I lost a son back in October. For 34 years, he lived not knowing how long he would live. And uh, I had a hospitalization, almost died twice, and he and I had a conversation. And he was in his late 20s, I think. I said, now, Dan, I want to know how you have coped all your life with this not knowing how long you're going to live. And he said this, Dad, the way I look at it, it's God's world, and I just get to live in it. It's God's world, and I just get to live in it. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free from a, a love that is, <clears throat> that is not ours, that does not benefit us, a love for things, a love for the world, a love for stuff, things that are not going to go into eternity. Change our heart, O oh Lord. Change our heart that we would love you more than the world that we enjoy. And that we would use our blessings, our money, to reach people with the gospel foremost so we can have more friends in heaven. If there be one person here this morning that has not asked Jesus to forgive them of sin and come into their life and take over and be Lord and Master and Savior, I pray they will come while we're singing this song. Or someone from another church of like faith and order wants to unite with us, I pray they will come right now as we sing. I pray this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. 
If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Akron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Akron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Akron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.